0: This is the No Stroke Podcast with your co-hosts, David Dancero and Michael Garrow, helping you to support and thrive in life after stroke. Their podcast is designed for educational and community support purposes only and should not replace medical treatment and guidance of your own health professional team.
1: Welcome to episode 31 of the No Stroke Podcast. My name is Dave Dancero. I'm here with my co-host, Michael Garrow. Hi, Mike.
2: Nice to be back, David. How are you on this fine Friday? It's a nice little summer afternoon here.
1: It is. It's we're winding
2: yep. down the summer, though.
1: I know All, already. Into, already, I you know. And I you know. and I sent you, you know, I sent you uh, a, a little post from the beach last night. So in 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 kind of answering your question about how I am, there's nothing like just kind of getting your feet in the sand. But that shows me that we're getting close to the end of the summer. When I try to myself and my wife try to make these urgent visits to the beach. I'm an evening beach person. I'm not a, you know, I can look at me here and see I'm not a, I'm not a sun goer. So, um, but I got some time to kind of sit back and relax and reflect. And, and of course, uh, you know, I took it as a sign when I sent you that photo of the seagull that sat down next to us, looked just like Wilson, Uh, you have to go back to the beginnings to know what we're talking about there. But, uh, um, and also, you know what, Mike, um, my wife surprised me with a brand new pair of running sneakers. So it was like, it was like getting new treads on a car. You know, I went out and it did, you know, it gave me a boost and I got out there and got an early morning running. And, you know, she knows that I don't buy stuff for myself. So she, she treated me to that. And I, I, I very appreciative. So life's good right now.
2: Look good, feel good, play good. That's, that's, that's the way it is, man. Well, that's nice. You got out and yeah. got a bit of, Got a bit of evening um sunset there on the beach. Lucky man.
1: Yeah. How about um, you? How are you doing? Yeah.
2: Happy uh, again, uh, wrapping up summer. So little, you know, it it is what it is though. You know, you, you get through the, the summer and, and the dark and cold months come. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I think we'll be fine. Um Let's, let's jump into this. Um, so, this week's guest, we have a gentleman, Ralph Preston, really, really interesting guy. Um, you know, he'll, we'll let Ralph take over, talk through his story here in a bit. Um, but, you know, he's, he's done a great job to one, like we always say, take control of life after stroke. Um, and he's a guy that, that 100% did that, you know, as a, as a stroke survivor and really building this community uh around him and some of his advocacy so yeah thr- thrilled to be able to have ralph on and hopefully being able to you know continue and do some more more work you know with both of our communities in the in the coming months uh, but let's go to i know you have a couple things for in the news i have one bit that kind of yep. highlights some of the work uh that i talked about with hyperfine and uh Viz AI last week but i'll let you kick it off
1: yeah, thanks, Mike. Um, and agree, the guest coming up is fantastic, and we'll dive into that very soon. Um, in the news for me, especially on the, um, you know, in all the advocacy, we talk about treating upstream and talking about prevention and treating the whole person. Um, this really caught my attention, and I hope to have this individual uh, pinged him, hopefully, we can get him on our show because he's doing some great work. Um, um, his name's Rick Severin, and his post caught my attention because I hope I said his name right, by the way, but. Um, he's talking about the advocacy, the the work that they're doing, and it's starting at the state level right now. But there's a motion that's presented by is Illinois is from Chicago, is an Illinois de- uh, delegation that's um, really trying to push having PTs have a say in how um, de- they're able to screen and manage blood pressure and early, you know, early on, like what, what, let's just, you know, state facts here in the relation to, to our show and stroke, you know, other, other than, other than smoking, right. The biggest secondary risk factor, and it's a silent risk factor. And that's the reason I want to bring this up is that it's high blood pressure or hypertension. There's the stats are are overwhelming. Something like 75% of the population now, either pre-hypertensive or hypertensive. So um, the, the motion that he's starting is, is to get some, some momentum around um, having PTs almost incentivized. And what I mean by that is having billing codes so that they can actually screen um, and put it as part of their practice. And, and that to me um, would be, it, it's exciting, but it's also something that would maybe, you know, what brings it back upstream is it gives us the ability to take the time and actually do that so that we can, you know, they they don't call it a silent killer for nothing. Um, I could look at you, Mike, and not, you know, just assume that your blood pressure is fine, but it could be in a dangerous level. So unless we screen, and then as therapists, it's always been something I've always done, but, you know, rubbing shoulders with other PTs and especially in the outpatient clinic, not a lot of PTs do that. So that in combination with the upcoming, the remote therapeutic codes, um, I really think the blood pressure management and monitoring is is something that is vital, and it will allow time. Because if you look at you know if I ask ten PTs, and especially an outpatient setting, why they're not screening for blood pressure, it's it's time and it's you know to me it can minimize risk and 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 it, and allow for early intervention so i'd love to get him on um and i and i said i i pinged him i found out did he had he also has a podcast too so i think it would be a great event because his area is cardiovascular cardiopulmonary pt so we'd be the person the expert to bring in to further this discussion so that's kind of my that's kind of my in the news that caught my attention
2: cool yeah that's super interesting hopefully we could get him on um yeah, just as a quick follow up from last week, and it, it goes side and side to what you'll hear uh, from our guest Ralph here in a minute. Um, Ralph, and like many other f- folks who have a stroke, um, you have a short, short time window to get to the hospital and get treatment. And oftentimes, you know, you get land in the hospital and they don't have an MRI machine ready for you, or they, you know, they don't have the, the staff ready to kind of um, take care of this. You, you know, and get you the treatment straight away often because they don't know for sure if it's a stroke, right? So what's interesting with this group partnership that I talked to last week with a company called Hyperfine, they've created a mobile MRI machine, right? So this goes directly to the bedside um, and is paired with, a, with technology from a company called Viz.ai, and Viz.ai, I've created this machine learning um, technology that can accurately and quickly predict based on the image, if it's a brain bleed or now a, uh, or sorry, both, both a hemorrhagic and ischemic stroke. So it's um, it's great technology. And, and I was able to dig in a little bit more over the last week and found a, an article stating that there's a hospital system out in Ohio that just implemented this mobile mri scan one of the first in the country and doctors are reporting a cut of 20 minutes um, for patients being being able to get this scan um, rather than having to go you know to where there's there's the large scaled mri machine um, they use a different type of of scanner that is is a bit more portable it's a lower magnetic field um, and it's able to just go straight to the bedside so to cut 20 minutes off in a patient who might have stroke symptoms to be able to get them that tcp at uh, tcpa like that's that's a big time move and i think you know we'll only see that continuing to increase so um amazing tech piece of technology and i hope it's something you know that could get into hospital systems and stroke centers across the country and across the world
1: yeah that that's uh that's really uh, exciting information and um, especially in light of what was mentioned um, by our guest, which we'll jump into in a moment here um, about in telling his story, how, how long he kind of waited too after being nudged to get into, you know, by his doctor to to go get to the hospital when he suspected something was happening that wasn't right. And he did wait a bit, right. I think he was over an hour. So um, to get that scan. So yeah, um, Really, uh, let's. I know we're, we, we, we've we've we uh, we've talked around this a little bit. It'd be really great to get those that company on uh, as well. So, um, yeah. So two good good kind of in the news uh, recaps there. Um, do you want me to just do a brief intro and then we'll get into uh, Ralph? So yeah. Uh, so Ralph Preston um, reached out to me initially. After we would uh, sort of a, a joint uh, a promotion that was going on 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 social media around showcasing survivor stories, and he reached out, and I eventually went on his show. Ralph Preston um, has a is a stroke survivor. He had a hemorrhagic stroke um, in his late fifties, um, and from that point on, he he really he really took action. He um, I I I want to say that you know. When I say action, I'm just going to give some examples because he can tell his story the best. But when I say take action, he founded a group called Stroke Buddies in response to all the barriers that he experienced in his own care. Um, and, you know, when I when I say some of the action points that in, in some of his uh, some of his um, scriptures, I'll just go after this. But but basically, um, you know he's already posted over a hundred videos in his group on specific. He found one of the things that he left therapy and not had a lot of video education to continue his therapy. When it started at home, he's posted over a hundred personalized videos. Um, he's done over 50 podcasts and crossover podcasts. Um, so it was great to have going to be great to have him on today. Um, and he puts up, um, over two and a half hours of content on zoom and his multiple survivor and support groups that he does. And he has breakout groups that I learned from being a guest on mindfulness, nutrition, some of those unmet needs. Um, But I just, I love his story. Um, When, when I originally um, heard him speak and, you know, he talks about being frank, like jump on it, like get on your recovery. And he happened to have an exercise background and we had some great dialogue about you know, the, the athlete's mindset. um, And, and he went to the areas that really, um, that we've talked about too. There's going to be bad days with stroke, you know, and kind of not, not, not get over it, but um, you have to set goals and not every day is going to be a good one, but, um, and pay attention to, to how much time initially he put into his own recovery and getting on it. So um, I I could go on and on, but I think it's best to, uh, do you have anything you want to share there before we jump in?
2: No, I think you said it well. You know, he is a guy, like I, I said earlier, and you you just reiterated, you know, took, took action after stroke, took control of his own journey. Um, you know, and it's something that he, a guy like him, he needs to be able to kind of have that voice. And he, he's done a great job to take a leadership role and. And it, it's helping his recovery, but really helping others. So yeah, let's, let's jump into this one. Um, you know, it's an exciting one and anyone who's interested in joining the Facebook group for, for Ralph it is, if you could just search for stroke buddies on, if you have, if you have Facebook, um, and you could also go to the show notes here at the, wherever you're finding this podcast, we'll put
1: a link to it. All right. Perfect. Let's, uh, wel- welcome Ralph into our show. <laughs> welcome, Ralph, to the No Stroke Podcast. Uh, we set the stage um, in our intro um, talking about all the great work you're doing. And I was on your show, Stroke Buddies, a few weeks ago um, with your community. And I thought, great t- opportunity to bring you on. Um, and you, you've met Michael earlier. And I wanted to um, welcome you to the show. And, and please tell us a little bit more about your background what you do professionally and, you know, perhaps a little bit more about your stroke and your survivor experience.
0: Okay, well, I've been a um, videographer, primarily a videographer, but I'm also a still photographer. Um, but I did most mostly video work. Um, and I was also a video technical director at live shows after I sold my company, uh, my video company um, as far as what changed in my life, um, I took a, like, about a one-year kind of hiatus. I did accept a few jobs during my recovery, um, but I mostly focused on my recovery, and then I, I pretty much went back into what I was doing, being a producer, shooter, editor, and also doing the live events, um, and so, but... In terms of, uh, I, I started doing stuff personally uh, for a long time, you know, I'm a contractor, if you will. I never did video much unless somebody paid me to do it. And I started doing, uh, I realized that I want to do good with my video camera in terms of the stroke world. I've been doing nonprofit videos for uh, 35 years and I've always given back and and uh, so I pointed the camera at myself and started generating uh, stroke content. Um, but I'm still a storyteller. And, you know, so in a lot of ways, I'm using the, my skills and storytelling ability to uh, just change subject matter. Um, now, you know, dealing with um, uh, trying to provide uh, good stroke information rather than promoting a product or making a benefits tape or whatever. The things that I used to do. So let's see about my stroke. I uh, had a uh, hemorrhagic stroke on the right side, right about there. Left side affected. I was on my. Uh, I had. Uh, you might appreciate this, David. I was on my uh, exercise my bike. Well, regular bike on a trainer, a carbon fiber bike on a trainer. I had fifteen seconds left to go, forty-four, forty-five into a forty-five minute uh, ride, and all of a sudden my legs didn't want my legs didn't want to go around right anymore. And I said, "This is weird," um, but I only have fifteen seconds left, so I'll just get off. So I got off and I uh, did some of the goofiest walking of my entire life. The first few steps, I dragged a foot, and I said, whoa, that's no good. And I went to lift it up. I think I lifted about a foot off the ground, and I dragged it again. I And after about three of those, I knew what happened. I called my doctor. He said, go to the hospital. I walked in the hospital. I sat there for about an hour and a half till the CAT scan. And they said, well, okay, time for the CAT scan. I went to jump up, and no dice. Couldn't move. Kept having the stroke, I guess, in the... In the hospital, so um, one of the things you asked was about um, what were the biggest barriers that that I had. I actually, got asked this question recently, and I wrote them down, uh, and then I did a poll in a couple of uh, stroke groups to share that with you, if, if you'd like. Anyway, there's there're. I could put these in order for me but these are in no particular order except the order I thought of them. I think the biggest issues for stroke survivors are motivation, depression, mobility issues, everything from getting to the bathroom and doctor's appointments to learn how to walk again. Uh, There's very, there's almost no or limited access to Uh, information that we need as stroke survivors. You get out of a rehab hospital, you lose a lot of your contacts. Um, I hear occasionally this wasn't an issue for me particularly. Uh, I did have to ask my family to just let me do things, stop trying to do things for me, but unsupportive families an issue for a lot of people. Some people have financial issues because they lose their jobs and end up on some type of disability ssdi or other then the other ones are pain chronic nerve pain fatigue brain fog whatever you want to call it neuro fatigue a lot of people deal with spasticity and also with insomnia i didn't have a problem with insomnia but it's a problem for a lot of folks
1: yeah and that that list is long um uh... As 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 we as we know, and we've we've kind of we've touched on a lot of those subjects in in a in a, in a vacuum. But um, I know Mike. I know you looked like you wanted to ask a question there. I, I have one, but I'll I'll let you jump in here because uh, this is really fascinating. Yeah, Ralph. Um, let's kind of go
2: back to you know when when you were discharged and you were coming out of the hospital. You know what what was it? You know on that list, what were some of those? you know, factors that you were having to deal with initially?
0: Um, well, I mean, you know, they sent me home in a wheelchair. And so, you know, mobility was a, a big issue for me because it was important to me to get out of it. You know, and in fact, I said about four or five days in, and I kept, every time I sat in a wheelchair, I kept having this creepy feeling like the more you sit here, the more likely you are to end up sitting here. I didn't like it at all. I said something to my wife, and she said, uh, well, we'll just fold up the wheelchair and put it out in the laundry room, and I went, "Um, well, I kind of can't make it across the room at the moment, and she said, we'll help you, and we actually did that. I don't think I crawled uh, more than once or twice. I did a lot of wall walking in the beginning, so mobility was a big issue for me. Motivation's an issue for everybody, and so talk about that. I'm a pretty intense individual. I had some trouble with depression and motivation, but it was spotty, thank God. You know, the one thing that's... I had bad days, and um, I'm glad I didn't string together a bunch of bad days. I typically, you know, have a bad day, the next day it would be okay, so I came up with this concept when I was having a bad day of, you know, dive to tomorrow, fake it till you can make it, whatever you want to call it. Um, but, uh, you know, I, um, it was an issue because I had to tell myself, look, if you want to get out of this wheelchair, this is what you have to do and you have to stick to it. I'm an athlete. I believe that people that have trained for, um, as an athlete do better in stroke recovery because they understand uh, setting the goal way out there. They understand that you don't uh, take a tenth of a second off of your whatever time, you know, the next day, the day after you set a goal. You know, if you're trying to take a a minute off of your 5K time, that could take you a year. So they understand setting long-term goals, and I I did that, and uh, I actually, you know, Believe this or not, it's the truth. I worked uh, 10, sometimes 12 hours a day. 7 in the morning till 7 at night. Every hour on the hour, I did something. Every, uh, Every other hour, it had to do with walking or leg exercises. And the other hours, I split between my shoulder. Yep, that's my affected shoulder and my hands. Yeah, that's my affected hand. Yeah,
1: that that's so important, Ralph. That was one of the questions. I'm glad you touched on that because I, I wanted to ask how important exercise was or your previous background in your recovery. And you really, I, I loved when in our previous conversation you now, you said, you know, I just got at it. I got at it, and in the time and the volume that you dedicated, the foundation you ah. had as, as exercise, you mentioned in, in in recounting your stroke, that you were actually on a bike when it happened. Um, was that would you know how how frequently were you exercising, you know, prior to your stroke? Because that happened in 2018, so it's
0: 2008. Know. I'm 14 2000. and
1: a half Okay, okay. So, so you're um, pro- oh, um, okay.
0: Oh, um, well, I wrote 2018. <laughs> uh uh i i made a typo i'm sorry well, that that but,
1: um that go ahead because i that that makes me <laughs> so go ahead on that answer on I'm that, on that
0: the answer is the same i was actually um training for the senior games i decided i lived in a small town i i, I like to exercise i was uh doing some jogging along the greenway and i just decided hey, I'll do a few running events and a few biking events. So that's why I was uh, on my exercise bike. Um, uh, and, um, well, I was a maniac in my recovery. I'm not that, well, I was when I trained for, and did some uh, sprint man triathlons, but I wasn't being that much of a maniac about it at 58 years old. I was probably working out uh, three, uh, three to four days a week, every other day um, riding my bike, taking a jog or two. Uh, so, you know, regularly, yeah. Yeah, So,
1: so definitely goal oriented. You had a goal that you were going for at the time. So that kind of maybe helped translate into setting new goals after stroke. Um, the question when I asked the difference between the 2008 and the 18, when you told, when you described how you turned the camera on yourself, um, talk a little bit about why that was in your discharge, because I found that very interesting that you felt there was perhaps not the best resources coming from the rehab side, therapists, whether it be OTs or PTs, in terms of providing educational content for you to continue to learn once you went home.
0: Yeah, I, um I've, I have a meme uh, that I made up in 2009, a year after my stroke, it says something like stroke survivors, stroke survivors, we need better access to information and, and resources. So, I mean, it hasn't changed. I posted that meme. I uh, posted a couple months ago in my group, but it 2009 on it. Um, so it's, um, you know, th- things haven't uh, uh, changed all, all that much. Um, you know, in terms of resources. Why did I point the camera at myself? Well, okay, I'll make this as brief as I can. When I got out of the hospital, um, when I was in the rehab hospital, two of my friends say that I told them I was, before I left was discharged, I was already talking about um, helping other stroke survivors. I have zero recollection of that, but when they to- both told me, I said, kind of sounds like me, doesn't it? And so, you know, I got to believe it's true. and. I did spend about 15 months being a maniac um, doing that 10, 12 hour a day stuff. And I got completely turned off to the whole thing. I just, one day I just said, I am tired of pulling on rubber bands. and And I moved into a more of a maintenance mode and more of a, what you would call functional therapy mode. I tried to use, I call it the left hand Olympics. I tried to do everything I possibly could with my affected hand. And I didn't shy away from walking or doing anything. And um, so, but to get back to um, why I turned the camera myself, so almost immediately I had this idea that I should produce the definitive set of DVDs on uh, stroke recovery, which I knew very little bit about, but I've also been hired many times to make um, videos on new products I had to learn about, so I just figured I'd learn and make this definitive DVD and we should hand one to all 800,000 people as they left the rehab hospital. Well, you know, I put together a a proposal and it was really well received at a number of hospitals, but in order to talk to half a dozen neurologists, go into physical therapy clinics and everything, it ended up many hundreds of thousands of dollars and nobody was really willing to sponsor it. Every hospital would say, well, we got $30,000, you can use our doctors, you can shoot here. They all said, you've identified a gap that we're aware of. And, um, but I couldn't put together a consortium. I got really close with the Medical University of South Carolina. They, one de- department had half and the other department decided they didn't want to put up the other half. And then I got with Tri-State Stroke Network, which was funded by the CDC. They love my idea. We we're working towards financing it and starting it when the CDC and in their infinite wisdom, that's sarcasm, uh, pulled the plug on all five regional stroke centers. Yes, they did. Thank you very much, CDC. So, you know, after three or four years, my, uh, my idea of doing this, um, kind of went in the toilet and, uh, I am somebody that likes to do what I say, and I became increasingly embarrassed that after four or five years, I had not done any, made any kind of video product whatsoever, so I said, okay, I've never been on a camera before. I hate it. I always stay behind the camera, but I decided, Ralph, you own a camera. You own an edit system. You know how to do this. You're a stroke survivor. You can't. You don't, don't want to hire somebody else who's an actor. They, they don't know what they're doing. You'd have to convey everything to them. You just you have to do this yourself. So I planted the carrot myself and started making um, simple uh, exercise videos. I'm not a PT like you. I have a, a fair amount of in-life practical training and I work for, with some stroke sort of survivors in person, Take doing physical therapy with them, taking them to physical therapy, taking them to the um, therapy pool for as long as five years, but I don't have any um, edu- real education, so, uh, well, when I said that once to a friend of mine, that uh, she said, um, I believe you have the ultimate degree, <laughs> meaning I, I had a stroke, so. So I point, you know, I I, I stick to simple things. If I don't know what I'm doing, I don't do anything. I don't ever prescribe anything or tell anybody to do anything or get too radical. So basically, most of my exercises are stuff I either learned, I learned physical therapy, I adapted from physical therapy, I made up myself that are an adaption of standard exercises, or in some cases, I learned things about brain patterning and things that I did in my recovery that I inter- interject. I've got one, for example, where I show you, I, can't, I I gotta go hands-free on something, and I don't do it very well, so I, I do a light touch. I put my fingers on, I pat my brain like five times, and then I do it five times perfectly, right on camera, live, one take, you know? I try, and every. I leave in, if I screw up, I, I generally leave it in, we don't do takes. I want people to look at my stuff and go, oh, he's got shake in his hand, you know? Uh, I still see a little bit of hip weakness there, you would, you know, uh, my credibility comes from being a stroke survivor, um, and there isn't anybody else out there that I see, Michelle Jensen maybe, there are a lot of am, uh, am, amateurs, a lot of uh, regular stroke survivors who occasionally post uh, um, a video to Facebook groups and stuff, but... There are only a few of us that are really stroke survivors that are trying to generate, um, you know, real exercise videos, things that benefited uh, us. And I've, I've gone on, I've, I've got a video on everything I did. So I started doing stuff on, you know, the McGee Big Three and uh, different kinds of crunches, uh, how to activate your glutes, stuff like that. Everything that I learn, I translate into more videos. I've got over a hundred videos uh, on exercise, and I'm on uh, podcast uh, 48 the other day, 49 next Tuesday. I do a roadmap series, we're at 25. We're on number four of a breathing class. I also generate about two and a half hours of Zoom content uh, a week. Uh, On Tuesdays, we talk to PTs like we did you, or scientists, neuroscientists, coaches, it's basically of trying to bring science and 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 real knowledge that 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 I felt found was really lacking when I left the rehab hospital. There was no neurologist or anybody to talk to. Oh, in two weeks I have a neurologist coming on for the first time, a, a stroke neurologist. Uh, so that that should be interesting. Um, so it's amazing. So. Yeah. And I, and I think like what you keep
2: talking to here, uh, Ralph is like your relatability, right? Like survivor. So my mother had a stroke at 28 years old and she was put into a convalescent home with a bunch of at the time, you know, people 40 plus years older than her, you know? Yeah. So I think what you've created, I'd love to kind of dig more into um, stroke buddies and the community that you've created over the last few years. Um, but i want i want to start with why you think you know you've been able to scale this so well and you know i think a lot is to kind of what you've talked to your relatability your you know your personality your your lived experience and that ability for a stroke survivor to see you and say okay i'm comfortable with this right it's not some pt it's not some somebody who hasn't kind of been in my shoes um so so just talk to that you know a little bit of you know how you engage with with your community and and what's helped you over the years
0: okay well i mean you know i kind of applied i'm uh, i'm a really intense individual i mean i was like off the friggin charts before um, my stroke and this is the calm down version of me i mean yeah just I'm looking at you and i'm talking i'm going i've been talking about like six minutes i need to give this guy a you know uh, uh an intro point here into this conversation anyway um i kind of brought my same intensity to the whole thing i've been doing it about six years uh the group stuff I've built up a group to uh, eight thousand people um you know it's back to the how do you move the stroke elephant thing you just keep pushing i used to say until i had an interview with Brian Harris and I interviewed each other and he used push the elephant. I used to say, push the rock uphill. I get up every morning and push the rock uphill. So that's how I did it. Uh, my greatest asset in this world, um, in terms of my leather shop, my video business, uh, my stroke work, everything I do it's because I, uh, I'm successful because I'm a plotter. I don't give up. I don't worry about what i get done during that day i just work out all day and all these things i didn't get done today they'll be there tomorrow obviously i have deadlines on some of the shows and things that i have to uh, uh so that's how i was successful the other thing is um especially in the beginning i answered oh probably 100 200 questions a day in about 10, 12 stroke groups. Now I'm a member of 20. I don't do that so much. But I also provided real-world answers to um, everybody. And I kind of became known for um, giving out, you know, reasonable, decent, I hesitate. the were good on my own advice, but, you know, decent advice. And uh so, and I dragged people over into my group, Stroke Buddies, anytime I saw anybody posting a video, being a video producer, and I, producer, I think the most powerful thing you can show another stroke survivor is somebody at home, at home, in the at-home setting, because I believe we mostly get better at home, somebody get, uh, shooting a video of themselves, uh, trying some new exercise, or having some success, or just trying to walk. Um, because it gives other people hope. It's back to me again. They see themselves in that person. I think that a lot of people can, they, they know I'm not um, BSing them in, in any way. I, you know, I've walked a walk. I, you know, well, they just, I can send you the pictures. They sent me home in a wheelchair. <laughs> it was no fun. Um, uh, I think also that my success, people want hope even people that know way down deep in the deepest part of their being, that they may not get out of that wheelchair. They see somebody else and it gives them hope. And that's really important because there is always hope for the future. And without hope, you don't plan and dream. And if you don't mm-hmm. plan and dream, you're not back to your life. People always want to want to uh, go back to the day before their stroke. Um, I want to see people plan and dream again because that's the most important part of life. Before you stroke, you planned and dream. That's the thing that was robbed from you, really, if you think about it. Okay, I couldn't walk for very well when I got sent home and everything. I had that some you get some physical things robbed. And some people have terrible, terrible, terrible strokes, but the thing that's really robbed from you is your your hopes, your dreams, and your plans. And I think that. It's really important for stroke survivors to somehow come to some level of acceptance about what's happened to them. You know, there's no mulligans in life. You can't pick up another golf ball and take a drop. I mean, it's just not the way life works. So you best get deal with it and get on with it. You know, earlier we were talking about my recovery. Well, and use the my words jump on it um i really encourage people to jump on it yeah neuroplasticity lasts a lifetime but you have more of it right after your stroke so when you sit right. around like oh i want to go back to the old me um i know i'm being snarky there and i probably shouldn't when you when you're you're burning neuroplasticity I see people who say, "Oh, I finally got into PT. I have an appointment uh, uh, three weeks from Friday." I'd say that, that's 24 days. What are you going to do in those 24 days? You're going to sit right on your butt and wait for PT? Then you're going to go in twice a week for an hour and think that's going to fix you? No. I, I preach. You got to become your own best patient advocate. You got to become mm-hmm. your own physical therapist. And you better start a home program sooner rather than later because you are going to be released. It's not a matter of if your insurance runs out, it's a matter of when. So get yes. all the sheets and, and and set up a home program and start moving that home program along with your physical therapist the entire time. I would suggest doing it on visit two. They do an evaluation on number one so you'd be interrupting them. But on visit two, you should be talking to your PT about what your goals are setting mutual goals if your pt isn't talking goals to you then you should be asking for another pt
2: yeah it's taking control of your rehab journey right and i think that's what you've done and it and it's the same thing like you go back to that athlete mentality you know you're not going to be successful if you go into started the season without training for pre-season you know doing some pre-season sure. workouts and it's the same sure. thing you know don't sit on your butt until you start you know going in but i think what you've touched on here and again going back to your skill set that you bring in as a patient advocate for this community um you said one thing earlier and i think it goes to your skills spe- specifically in videography is the art of storytelling right so how did how have you kind of crafted this to support survivors, right? Because even like the way that you've just kind of talked us through getting, you know, moving and getting folks going early in that process, um, I think it takes a creative person to be able to motivate an individual like that. So is some of your content, I know you said a lot of it is based on kind of physical movements and things, but do you have any content related to kind of, you know, motivating individuals, educating them on kind of this journey? Uh, is it all kind of, you know, physical based.
0: Well, well, I, you know, I have the science. I have the um, uh, in the meetings and I have the um, exercise videos. I've also done some stuff with um, two of my friend stroke survivor friends, um, uh, Marcus Rosenlinger and uh, Neil Isaac. Um, I basically talk about these things with them. In the case of Neil, I, I, I drove five hours to meet him and did interviews with him. And when I talked to him, he had the same um, philosophy as I did. So I asked him loaded questions that would make... <laughs> I didn't put any words in his mouth. I just asked him very specific questions about, like, you know, when what was your aha moment about therapy and, and stuff like that. And he ended up, like, basically... I, I basically feel, feel like... Uh, I want to get more voices, and I used him as another voice to basically say the same thing. Same with um, Bob Anderson, and we did a program with Bob. Uh, he Bob jumped on it like I did, and uh, he he may have he may have beat me. He may have beat my record. He, I mean, he was doing stuff at four months that I didn't keep exact track. But anyhow, the point is people who jump on it tend, seem to get better a lot quicker. Um, so I don't know if that answered the the, the question or not, but. Um. Um, Mike, I apologize and Ralph, I apologize, you probably saw me
1: scrambling and out. My, my audio cut out about five minutes ago. So um, I wanna make sure I didn't miss, Mike, uh, I'm gonna let you, uh, in the interest of time here, I feel like we could keep going. I want to make sure um, we didn't miss any questions or any convey any information that Ralph wanted to get over. Did we? Are we up to the? Uh, the yeah, you know, no, you the didn't Spanish miss as much,
2: David. Um, yeah, I think you know it's we could kind of you know wrap up here with our magic wand question. Um, and, and David, I'll I'll let you kind of craft up the the question.
1: Yeah, so so Ralph, uh, we usually at the end of our interview ask everyone our magic wand question. So here it is, and as our low budget, uh, we actually have a physical for our YouTubers—a uh, very uh, inexpensive magic wand. So, um, how would the you use this to change the stroke recovery pathway for survivors and caregivers?
0: Okay, well I didn't know you actually had a magic wand I could wave. Um, of course, you know when I first when I read this question, I thought about it in terms of. Um, uh, well, I thought about it in terms of, that there's several different um, appro- approaches or ways you, that you could look at it. And uh, uh, the first thing, if you actually had a magic wand, of course, what you would do would be you would wand away. You'd make everybody, all eight million stroke survivors in the U.S. better immediately and then you would wand again and you would eliminate anybody in the future ever having a stroke but those are kind of conversation ending um, magic wand moves so I, uh, I came up with a couple of others. This is a question that I don't get asked much so I, I did make some notes on it. Um, so I um, mentioned there are several tacks you could take. Um, uh, if I couldn't make everybody better I'd at least like to make them um, understand that, there, you know, take ownership of your recovery, are the words I use, you, you used them a second ago, um, uh, that, you know, the cavalry's not coming. You gotta take ownership and, and, and get on it. Nobody's gonna do it for you either, and the PT is a like a piano teacher, you have to practice or you don't get better. And they can't do it for you either. So it doesn't lie, you know, the answer is within ourselves. It doesn't lie in any other people, any other treatment, any devices, in my opinion. Devices are great, treatments are great, therapists are great. But it still comes down to you putting together a plan, you doing putting in your time and you doing the work. So what other kinds of things? I'd love to see the survivor and therapy communities working together regardless of Uh, and within insurance limitations. Uh, If we're not, one of my things with Stroke Buddies is if they're not gonna give us what we need, then we need to band together and and give it to each other. And part of that, of course, if you're a logical person, the first thing you think is, well, why keep banding together? Why not go back to the source and fix the problem? So I would really like to eventually do things like do studies on spasticity. Uh, generate a continuing education that y- you know this David you have to take a certain amount of continuing education every year some of its boring you got to get the points, though. what if you made things for therapists about maximizing neuroplasticity in your stroke patient population they might think that's interesting so we could educate uh, therapists as to our specific needs as neuropatients versus ortho patients Uh, Some of the mental stuff, okay, I interviewed somebody recently, and we were talking about the whole mental aspect, and he told me, he's a physical therapist, Patrick Reese, he said, um, I introduced you to him, Uh, he said, I think a lot of my patients are putting on their game face, because I don't hear about this, the biggest eye-opener for me, and being in the groups, was all the mental issues that, that people are dealing with. So. I'm not sure therapists are fully aware of what we go through. Uh, so that would be something. And as far as advances, I think the advances are going to come from uh, medicine. I don't really think that we're going to see any kind of magic bullet anytime soon. It's a condition, not a disease, so it's not curable. Um, brain cells die, so it's not reversible. So the best. To me, it seems like the best that's gonna happen is we're gonna get better and better crutches, if you will. And I think that they're gonna come from uh, two things, from medicine, you know, look, we have our DNA vaccines now and they're just learning so much about the the, uh, way the body works. And the other thing is I'm a big believer in physics. And I think the more we study body mechanics, physics, uh, and uh, so I think that, you know, the whole thing, Uh, will change it will change dramatically but it's not going to change radically in the sense that i think you're still going to have to recover from a stroke but imagine if you could recover what did i write um uh, call me crazy but i think a lot of stroke recovery is based on physics and some and some knowledge of exactly what motion should look like add in some knowledge of what motion should look like add a cup of neuroplasticity maybe a soft programmable east end capable flexible exoskeleton another cup of hard work and maybe you have something so i think that like i know two uh, motor recovery labs where they're basically studying neuroplasticity and the the interrelationship between proper movement and getting pat signals to the brain so I think that and medicine are gonna be the two uh, two things where we see big change in the future. And, uh, oh yeah, I should add that I'm an, actually, you know, while I said, I don't think we're gonna see a magic bullet. I am an optimist. I hope I'm wrong. So I don't know if that's, it's probably it, a slightly different answer than you that, usually get for the magic wand question, but.
1: That's so well said, Ralph, uh, uh, period, end of sentence, because you, you've, you put that recipe all together into, you know, we just need to have a touch of that magic wand to, to, to complete the recipe. So uh, Mike, um, I'll let you take us out today. I would, you know, we'll put, we'll put all Ralph's resources in our show notes. And uh, I really want to just say, thank you, Ralph, for your time today, early start for us all. And I really appreciate you bringing a very unique lens um, and an admirable, you know, effort that you're putting in. And and like you said, um, we, we, it, 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 it's time we kind of change the narrative here a bit. And so, Mike. Uh, with that said, um, take us out. Yeah.
2: Well, I think you did a nice job there, wrapping us up, David and Ralph. Again, thank you for your time today. Um, it's brilliant to hear your story, your your passion, what you're bringing to to this community that is underserved and certainly needs more people like you. So, thank you.
0: Thank you. Thanks for having me and thanks for the kind words. Thank you, Ralph. All right, Ralph. Take care.